1981, before he was born, right? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> the church has been partnering with us. And the ministry that has been going on in, is a ministry that God, to God's glory, but also <laughs> it's part of your ministry as well. Okay, it works. You know most of this, so it was introduced. You don't need to know, but think of that picture. 1985, when the church first knew Diane, and that's we've been being supported by this church since that time. Badar is where we work. Ethiopia, think of the eastern part of Africa. Bahadar is in the north. It's a very strong Orthodox Christian area. We're right on a large lake called Lake Tana, and that's where the Nile River starts. So one of the largest rivers in the world start from our city. It has about 200,000 people living in the city, and so it is not just a small little town. Have you ever been surprised by God? Where God says, you never thought you would be doing this, but do it. Yes. Well, that's what happened with Diane and I a couple, four years ago. When somebody else started this ministry called Hidden Abilities, a ministry, an outreach ministry to children with special needs, and then they had to go home and they said, do it. And so for the last four years, Diane and I have been responsible to carry on this ministry to children with special needs. Nowhere in Ethiopia is there any support given to families who have children with special needs. In fact, people are so embarrassed by their child that they hide the child in the back bedroom and that child never goes outside for the rest of his life. One day I was, uh, a child came to our center and just such a beautiful girl and I wanted to take her picture. I asked permission of the father, can I take a picture? And he said, no way. My parents don't know I have a handicapped child. My neighbors don't know I have a handicapped child. I don't want anybody to know. So here we had this project and we agreed to reach out to handicapped children, but we couldn't find any of them. We had to physically go door to door, knocking on doors saying, do you know anybody that has a handicapped child? Well, over the last four years, God has blessed. The word's gone out, and we have 90 children that we minister to every month. We do two things outside of providing therapy. We also provide financial help. Because pretty much everyone who has a, handy uh, a child with special needs, the father leaves. And now the mother has to take care of this child by herself without any, without any funds. And so she takes some, uh, buys a, a few onions or a few a little uh, potatoes and she sits by the side of the road all day long trying to sell enough potatoes so that she can feed herself and her child that night. So we provide 
some assistance, financial assistance to them. Not only that, we provide some um, educational assistance. I remember we had one child who came to our center, kind of his fingers, his hands were all curved inwards. He couldn't hold a pencil. Because he couldn't hold a pencil, he wasn't allowed to go to school. He was bright. He was gifted. But he just couldn't hold a pencil. So we began to work with this child, and pretty soon his, his, his hand straightened up. He began to hold this pencil. We got him into school within one year. He was the, the top student of his class. Amen. It's hidden abilities. God has put abilities in every one of these children. And our desire, our dream, is to get them and allow their gifts to come out. I want to share a little bit about one child. Mama, I can't come back to you. But I'm going to just have a little bit of fun. Yes, I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house. I'm Kanyan <laughs> Hidden Abilities started in 2014 uh, in a desire to reach out and assist uh, children with physical disabilities and to help support their families. There's really nothing else similar to this in the whole city of Bahadar. In our area, when a family has a child with special needs, there's a lot of shame that they experience every day. They even hide their child so that nobody in the community can see them. So when they come to visit us, we want to create an atmosphere where they're loved, respected, and, and enjoy being with us. We see new children every week. The families bring them in and we assess them. Some of them are referred from the hospital and some just hear about it from their friends who have children who they've seen a difference in their lives. And so new families come hoping that we can help their child as well. We see children with many different physical challenges at Hidden Abilities. Some of them are unable to lift their head and hold it up. Some are unable to reach out and grab something. Some of them are 
አቅፎ ፍቅር አሳይቶን ክብካቤ በማድረግ ወደ ተሻለ አካላዊ እንቅስቃሴ ማምጣት ነው በዚሁ ደግሞ የወንጌል ስራ መስራት ሁሉ ጊዜ ጣጣ አስጸል ጌታ ሆይ ፈውስ በጆቼ አስቀምጥ መጀመሪያ ሲመጡ ወላጆች ተስፋን ነበራቸው እድሜው ወደዚህ ሴንተር ሲመጣ አንድ አመት ከሰባት ወር ነበር በዛኖት መቆም አይችልም መራመድ አይችልም የታዩ ለውጦች ባሁን ሰዓት ካለምንም ሳፖርት መሄድ ይችላል መቆምና መሄድ መቻሉ በራሱ አንድ ደስታን ይፈጥርብኛል ከዛው እንዱ ደስተኛ ነው ሴንተር ላይ ስለታዩት ጉሩን ከመጣጥ ዘረጋ ከመዘርጋት ቆመ ከመቆ የጉዝ ወጀበረልኝ አሁንም የው በርግጥ የሚታይ ነገር ባሉ ሳይሆን ይታያል challenge of having a child with special needs draws people together we have people from many different faith backgrounds who come to hidden abilities but when they start to work with the children the suffering that they all experience the challenges that they experience in trying to get their child to do new things new exercises it draws them together and there's a support network that works out ባዶ ህፃናቶች ጋር አሁን ሁሉ ቆመው ጫወታል በሰውየትም ሰነዳ አብሮ ሲደስ ይለኝ አስተምረዋለሁ አስተምረኩት የሚመጣለድን እድል ደሞ ሞክርለታል ለሳምንት ለውጥ ሲያዩ ወላጆች ተስፋቸው ሲለመድም ሳይ ልጆችም ደግሞ ነገ የተሻለ ነገር ላይ ይሆናሉ በየሳስብ በጣም ውስጥ ይረካፋል It's exciting to see the families discover their child's hidden abilities and for the child to be able to develop to their full potential. You're involved in an amazing ministry. And so as we heard in the prayer today please pray with us we really need a, a, a physical therapist to come join our team to begin to work with these kids because we really don't want to close this project down My passion is a little bit different I like to reach out to people pastors and church leaders in rural communities who have no opportunity to go to school If you're to track Africa, you'll see that anybody over a 10th grade education leaves the rural communities. As a result, no matter how many people we try and train in our colleges, there are no no one wants to go back. I know churches that have been there for 20 years never had a pastor because everyone they trained has left. So my calling is to take the training to them to those who will remain usually it's people in 5th and 6th grade people who are farmers who have families who never will leave their community but god has gifted them to be shepherds for their flock so i work in this huge place about half the size of alabama is where i have to travel to do my training All throughout this land you've heard about the the growth in in uh, of Christianity in Africa. All throughout this area the church is just mushrooming quickly, but it's little churches like this 
Churches that have no opportunity to really send somebody off to Bible college. And so I gather them, a county at a time, bring in the church leaders, bring in the elders, and for two years we begin our training program. Last night I spent the night in a great hotel. Out there, this is my hotel, a little tent. Now let me tell you, this is self-preservation. Because if I'm not in the tent, I'm sleeping on the floor with 30 other men who snore. And there are fleas, and there are bed bugs, and the rats run all over you. So I would much rather be in a tent. However, this tent is actually one of the greatest teaching tools that I have. When I ask them, what have you learned from, tent, from me? They always point to this tent and say, the cost of the gospel. Because for them... Sleeping in a tent is the worst situation you could be in. One of the exciting things that I do is every night I show a biblical video. Now picture in your mind, they have never seen a TV in their life. They've never been to a movie theater and seen a screen and seen a movie. And for the first time in their life, somebody brings a live picture to them. And they look at this, and God's Word becomes alive. I have seen whole communities changed by being there and sharing, just showing a story of Abraham and his walk of faith, or Joseph and his walk of purity. Last two years, though, have not been an easy time for us because the whole country is exploding, falling apart. Not along Republican-Democrat lines, but along 80 different tribal lines. And so I cannot go to any of my training programs anymore without calling ahead and saying, is the road safe? So that's why it's so important to pray for Ethiopia because this year that whole nation could actually explode and disintegrate. So please keep that in your prayers. Just last week, I was on, online looking at uh, the news, and all of a sudden, this popped up. Ethiopia has had a locust infestation that they have not seen or experienced for generations. 100% crop loss in some of their areas. I don't know how they're going to live. But this is what they are facing right now. So please join us through your prayers. We prayed for these, so I won't take any more time. But again, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry. Remember, our calling is to take the, the gospel to the world and make a difference in the name of Christ. I want to pray, and then we will go into a little time from the Word. Father, you're the God who does amazingly above and beyond anything we ever imagined. We cannot dream of the impact that we are having far away in Ethiopia. But Father, we need you to speak now to us. Give us ears that hear. Prepare our hearts to listen. And then, Father, may we obey what you say to us. Amen.
One of the good things about working in Africa is that you're forced to look at truth from a different angle. I was teaching once, and one of my students raised his hand and he said, uh, I got a question. We say that when a hyena makes a certain sound, that hyena is eating Satan. Next morning, we go looking for where that hyena was and where he let loose, where he uh, made his doo-doo. We look for that, we get that, we mix that with water, we drink that, and whatever problem we have goes away. Anybody want some medicine today? His question to me, though, as a teacher, after that hyena eats Satan, how does Satan get alive again? Now, did you cover that in theological school? Truth comes up, you look at truth from a different angle. And this year, last two years, I've been looking at truth from a different angle. Because the word gospel that we are all familiar with, we use it all the time, is understood differently from different people. I go to Ethiopia, I sat down, I visited some Muslim uh, believers just young people had just come out of the, uh, the, the Islam faith and, and uh, I asked them, what brought you? What did you believe? Well, we wanted God to make us rich. We wanted God to make life comfortable. We wanted God to heal us from our diseases. The prosperity gospel yeah. is all over Africa. It's growing here from what I've been told. Really? Is that the gospel? When I was growing up, the gospel was always, almost always presented as believe on Jesus so you don't go to hell. Well, is that the gospel? What are you hearing? What, what is being said is being presented as the gospel? That's a huge question we have to ask today. In 2 Kings, there's a story that was really weird. I want to read this story to you. I'm sure you never took, read this one in the devotions. But it is a time of darkness. It is a time of a battle. It was a time when God's people were being attacked. Kind of like we are facing in America now as our nation is disintegrating. As faith is no longer acceptable. Elisha now was sick. He was about ready to die and things were very dark. Verse 14 it says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows and he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Apec. Then he said, take the arrow, and the king took them. And he said, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. 
the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you would defeat it only three times. I'm going to take this as an analogy of how we now in America have to be prepared. Life is a battle. We are in a battle. Our nation is in a battle. You just turn on the news, you can hear that battle. Now, God has given us weapons. For them, it was bow and arrow. For us, He only gives us two weapons the weapon of prayer and the weapon of the gospel. When we enter the political arena, when we use their weapons, we almost always lose the battle. We have to go back to the two weapons that God has given us, the weapons of prayer and the weapons of the gospel because God promises that He will defeat. But there's another truth that's there as well. Do you remember Elisha said, hit the ground with the arrow. The guy only did it three times. And he stopped and said, three's enough. Well, what's this teach us? We are in danger as a Christianity in America of saying we've done enough. We've done enough to reach the world with the gospel. We no longer want to give funds. We no longer want to send our kids to go out there and die for the gospel. Give us the easy jobs. And I think this analogy teaches us that if we do not persevere in striking the arrow of the gospel, there is coming a time when defeat happens. You can't say we've done enough. The area of battle, one of the areas of battle, I believe, is on our understanding of what gospel means, what gospel is. Because the instrument that God has given us to win the battle is the pure gospel, not a deformed gospel. And so Paul, when he was writing the, to the Galatians, he said a really, really difficult word. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now, this is not politically correct. Somebody comes to you with a gospel that's different, a prosperity gospel. You watch it on TV. Do you say, that guy should go to hell? That's what Paul's saying. When evangelists and others in Ethiopia preach their prosperity gospel, they are giving a hope that is false, a gospel that is false, and eternity is being impacted. And so Paul said, we got to know our gospel. So I want to talk about Gospel 101. I understand as a church, you have been going through Matthew. I don't know why, but God's Spirit led me to Matthew. And this will be maybe a repeat, maybe something that's uh, quite different. So we're going to go through the book of Matthew in a very quick, quick way. 
If Jesus were here standing at this pulpit today, what would he tell us? Where would he start? Would he send a, give us a cushy, easy message that is meant to make us feel good? That is politically correct? Or would he hit us over the head with a two-by-four and say, wake up? Now, in, in the time when Jesus came, when he began his ministry, things looked good. It was the Bible Belt. They were following the word. They were doing all of the sacrifices. They thought they were okay. And all of a sudden, here stands Jesus, and he says, what does he say? From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. Hmm. He didn't start with love. Do you notice that? He started with repentance. Now, repentance is different from confession. Confession is just saying, I screwed up. Repentance is, I was going this way. I got to turn around and go this way. So repentance in the Bible is always a heart and a mind-changing understanding of life. It used to be about me. Now it's about him. It used to be I wanted my way. Now it's I'm wanting his way. Now I would believe that most of us in America who have grown up in the selfie generation see God as there for us. He's there to make us feel good. And Jesus comes to us and says, no, you got to turn around. It's about me. you got to start with me. It is my will that matters. It's not your will that matters. At the root of every sin that you and I make is the attitude, I will do it my way. Thank you. And that has to break. And that's why Jesus said, Although you are religious, you've got to change something major. It is now not about you. It is about me. Which takes us to the second word. The kingdom of heaven. For the Jew, the kingdom of heaven was less about geography, more about the king. The king has come. Now you and I, having grown up in democracy where we allow our kids basically to have free reign of everything, do not understand what it means to live under a king. A couple centuries ago, I grew up in Ethiopia, and there was a king. His name was Haile Selassie. Now, during that time, if he said, you do this, everybody only had one choice, yes. I will do it. No negotiations, but that's not convenient, and that, and that costs me money, and this whole thing that we see in politics today is the result of democracy going wild. That we all want our way, and you guys can go do whatever you want. And the king comes to you, and the king comes to me, and he says, hey, wait a minute, 
You got to start the journey by realizing I'm king. From now on, I am king. And I am the one telling you what to do. It's not about you getting things from me. You got to start with coming and submitting to me as the king. That's why what we saw and sang about was so, so relevant. Now, if we would go on in the story, I wish I was uh, Joshua and I could say, stop, clock. (laughs) But I can't, so I have to hurry. So the story immediately goes on to an interesting, it's a story of two people. Two encounters with Jesus. It's an illustration of what happens and what should happen with us. And so Jesus, it says in verse 18, And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here he goes from saying, I'm the king, he comes to his first two. And he says, he finds them in one of the most convenient jobs that was available in Galilee. Fishing was a cushy job compared to farming. And here they were, they were enjoying life, and this relatively stranger Jesus comes up and says, leave it and come follow me. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to promise you anything other than you're going to fish for people. No blessing, no great glory, just follow me. Okay, let's put ourselves in what they had to face. You just opened a Starbucks across from the university, and it's just booming, and people are drinking coffee, and your sales are off the chart, and one guy comes in one day and says, huh, lock that door and let's go. Would you do it? Would you do it? You get a, a scholarship, play football at Alabama as a quarterback who just got hurt. I, hate, I think. Am I right? Oh, I heard that. That's a low blow. I'm from Ohio State, so I can hit some low blows. <laughs> uh, and here you had your life lined up And this guy comes and says, ah, turn down that scholarship. Let's go to Africa. Would you do it? This was not an easy choice. Becoming a Christian is never meant to be an easy choice. It means hurting. It means giving up what you think is important to follow what he says is important. And then he got worse. He went to the next two. And here they were with dad. This was a family business. Dad was expecting them to carry this on. And Jesus came and said, Huh? Turn your back on your dad. Turn your back on your family business. 
we're going for a hike. We're going for a walk, and it's going to cost you everything. The number one deterrent for missions today is family. You heard in the prayer, my mom's nearing the end of her earthly journey. It is cutting me apart, knowing that in January, when I say goodbye, it will probably be the last goodbye. And it is hard. It doesn't get easier, it gets harder. But am I willing to do it for the king? A lot of young, young families come out to Ethiopia and their parents are always writing, I need to see my grandkids. Hurry up and get home. Thank you, you've done your business. Grandparents, are you willing for your children to serve God? Or are you approaching life, those kids, those grandkids? I deserve to be able to hug, to hug them to spoil them. And Jesus said, uh, you start with me. I can let you have that. I might not let you have that. That's my business. You see, Jesus was not approaching faith from an easy thing. The last thing here that I want to say in this section was, he said, hey guys, life is about serving. And you serve by tailing the gospel. You're going to be fishers of others. No longer do you look at life if you're a follower of Christ of what can I gain. It's what can I give. It's what can I do for the king. It's how can I expand his kingdom. And so when you go to university, when you go to class, in your mind is this question, what can I do to make the king's kingdom expand? And you only do it by sharing the faith. And it gets harder as you go in on, on uh, through Matthew. It doesn't get easier. Let me just read Matthew 10. 32 through 39. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Ufta, they say in North Dakota. Wow. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his, their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever lo loses their life for my sake will find it. <laughs> There's a danger that you and I face. It's the danger of a quiet faith. Of not sharing. 
uh, of being in situations and you, you feel God's Spirit saying, put in a little word about me. Amen. And you end up talking about the weather or the ball game because deep inside you're a little ashamed of talking about Jesus. The context of this passage is the context of sending the disciples out. Gospel is sending. And there, Jesus is warning how tough that sending will be, the cost that is there. And he starts with the cost to family. I was teaching once in a very remote place of in Ethiopia, and I was just starting the training program, and they bought, brought two little high school girls in and said, can they learn? I thought, two little high school girls? What, what am I going to do with them? The, the truths are just too hard. This is for leadership. And then they explained to me that these two girls had gone against the religion of their mom and dad and accepted Christ as their Savior and were instantly kicked out. Now the church had to do everything for them. Food for them, clothing for them, schooling for them. They paid the ultimate price. Hmm. Would you do it? Would I do it? We're living with 200 years of a very easy, cushy Christianity. It's not going to continue that way. It's going to cost us. The book ends with a very popular, well-known verse. Now, remember, he started in chapter 4 by saying, you will be fishers of men. You will be telling the gospel. Then he turned to the group of disciples and says, go and tell the gospel. It ends, the whole book ends with, you church, take this whole thing to the world. And so, we know this verse, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Hmm. Do you remember Elisha? Hit the ground. Not once. Not twice. Keep hitting it. Because it has to go on and on and on until the Lord Jesus returns and the kingdoms have been brought under his authority. If we as a church, if you as a church become tired, we've done enough. We'll send some money out or we'll go on a short term, but don't ask us to, to go to these difficult places where we might die or our kids might die. Well, if we don't, who will? When my mom and dad were working one day, there was a farmer. And this farmer, God spoke to him in an amazing way. And this, God spoke to this farmer and said, I want you to walk for 200 miles through the wilderness where lions were infested area, walk so that you can work with Mr. Fellows 
in preaching the gospel. So this man had, he and his wife, and he had two, two uh, children. He was getting ready to go, and his oldest child died. Got sick and died. They buried, this, they buried her, and after a little bit, he got ready to go, and the elders of the church came and said, uh-uh, you got only one child left. You don't want to go through life childless. So we'll find a young man, and we'll send them. If he dies, it probably won't be as severe. What would you have done? You only got one child left. So this man said, you know, God told me to go. I have to obey the king. I have to go. The cost, the benefits, that's in God's hands. So this man began to walk over this 200 miles through the wilderness and halfway on that journey in the middle of the wilderness, his remaining child died. He dug a little grave by the side of the, uh, the road. He buried her and continued. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to obey the king, even though family paid a huge price? Today there are thousands in the kingdom because one little farmer said, I obey God. Friends, gospel is not a good, a feel-good pill that we take and then we kind of refresh it when we come to church. The gospel is us changing our focus so that he now becomes the focus. Have you done that? Have you done that in your life? Have you said, God, doesn't matter, you are now it? As a church, are you still really passionate about reaching out in Tuscaloosa about the gospel, with the gospel? Universities next door, there are thousands of people of a current generation who know nothing about Christ. Are you passionate to reach them? That's what it means to be a disciple for you. Is the church still passionate about reaching the lost around the world? May God help us to make the right choice. Because at the end of time, if we try to gain our lives and make it comfortable, we will lose. And the church will lose. But God will never lose.